This is Cinema Roundtable. My name's Jake, and today I'm joined by Erica. Thanks for having me. And Bo. I'm so happy to be back. Yeah, we you did so well in the last episode. We decided to can't you decided you to hire back. me on full time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the the budget was was getting a little bit low, but we had to make room for you, right? <laughs> I guess so. You got a you got a grant from somewhere <laughs> just to hire we're, me. We're still trying to get that um, the the shutter and the Alamo Draft House. The sponsorship. Um, sponsorship. I oh, mean, we're just going to keep bringing it up. because, yeah, I mean, we keep plugging them. How fitting would that be for just, like, the personalities of the regulars on this podcast and, like, where you watch movies? That'd be perfect. Yeah, I mean, it, executives from Alamo and Shudder, <laughs> right, right. if you're all, listening to all this. the hundreds of you listening. <laughs> you know what? You know, we'll next, take it. I was going to say, next uh, time we post the episode on social our social media pages, it's going to be hashtag shutter, hashtag mm-hmm. Yes, that's how you I mean, get Every them. single time. Yes. I don't even know if that's allowed given. <laughs> you do the hashtag and you also have to tag their account. There yeah, you go. Yeah, there so you, go. you have to be to Talk to Aunt Timpton, Timpson. I think that's the CEO, the CEO of, Alamo? of Alamo Drafthouse because yeah. he's also a movie producer as well. Those, those big top executives, they love when people are obnoxious. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. If, if I've ever learned anything, it's to be as obnoxious as possible, and then you get what you want. And just, like, disrespect um, boundaries, intrude on people's time. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. I have a two-month-old. It's just <laughs> cry, it and then you get what you want. Um, but anyway, uh, this month's featured <laughs> film is A Haunting in Venice. It's uh, the third installment of I Never Pronounce the Perot. Is that... Poirot. Poirot. Hercule Poirot. There you go. We were just talking about how French names can be difficult to pronounce sometimes. You hear it a hundred times in a movie and I still can't get it. Um, Just call him uh, HP. HP. We'll know who you're talking about. Yep. It's not Harry Potter. Not not Hewlett Packard. There you go. Um, (laughs) The newest, uh, but from based on the, the 1969 uh, Agatha Christie novel. Is it just Halloween party? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, I only learned that during the credits or whatever. Okay, because yeah. it has a hyphen or a, a, a uh, apostrophe, apostrophe yeah. in it. Well, that's like the old fashioned, like, oh. creepy way. That's how people in the mid 20th century. So do if you're ever trying to make something spooky, yeah. throw an apostrophe in there. Why not? <laughs> um, uh, th- I thought this was a, a fitting episode to do because we've done, we did Death on the Nile when that came out as well. Did we also do. Murder on the Orient Express? That would have been a while ago. That would have been during the Legacy Crew, and I don't think we reviewed that, but I watched Death on the Nile around the time you reviewed it, and then I listened to your review. As you all should. Yes, as you all should, and I loved your guys' review. It was awesome. And the obligatory Army Hammer jokes. Oh, yes. Yes, that that cast was just riddled with controversy (laughs) and uh, embarrassment and uh, discomfort. So that was just a whole other like meta side conversation. Yeah, and we're I mean, we've never had a side conversation on this Ever. podcast no, before. So I don't no, think so. so. We're very focused. Was the first breaking ground with <laughs> breaking that breaking new ground with that. Um, but before we get into that, we're going to talk about a few other films that we've seen. Um, let's just start off with Bo. You're going to talk to us about Theater Camp. Yes, I saw Theater Camp just the other night, and this is a comedy film that's uh, directed by Molly Gordon who stars in the film, as well as Nick Lieberman. And it was written by Gordon and Lieberman, also written by Noah Galvin and Ben Platt, who also stars in the film. So a lot of the people in this movie are helping to write and direct it. And this film is basically a mockumentary that is centered around this um, summer camp that has this theater focus. So these kids go to this camp to learn how to sing, act, and dance. And it is basically a huge farce. It is a 90-minute, just ridiculous, goofy ride. Um, This theater camp is run by a woman named Joan, who is played by Amy Sedaris. And before the start of the camp season, uh, Joan is watching this performance of, I think it's Bye Bye Birdie, if I remember correctly. And the show has these like strobe lights. And the strobe lights give her a seizure as she slips into a coma. And so she is beloved. All the kids love Joan. She's just like, she is the matriarch. She is the leader. She is so kind-hearted and supportive of the kids. And now this woman that these kids love, she's not there. And so taking her place 
is her son, Troy. He steps in. He has never like stepped foot onto a theater stage before. Um, he's basically this loafer. He's this big oaf. He's this moron. So he has like the last temperament you'd ever want near a theater summer camp. And so now he's like this fish out of water. So that's a huge okay. part of the story. Um, but he's uh, assisted by the camp staffers. The camp staffers include a character named Amos and a character named Rebecca Diane. And these are two longtime campers. They, they attended the camp as kids for like 11 years straight. And then they came on as staffers. And now they just can't really leave this world. They're those adults that just can't move on from this thing that they've always been a part of, which mm -hmm. is theater. And so they're really snobby about theater. They call themselves professional actors, and yet they don't have professional acting gigs. And so they're sort of, they're, their development is arrested, right? So they can't really move on in life. And it's pretty funny. Um, and they're tasked with writing a show that the kids will perform at the end of the summer. And so every year the show's different. They make the show about Joan, Troy's mother, who is in the coma. And so now all these kids have to learn how to do this show that's dedicated to Joan. But meanwhile, Troy finds out the camp is suffering a lot of financial woes. Um, the story revolves around the adults as they're just trying to keep the camp afloat. And it's showing all these moments of the kids in these acting and dancing and singing classes and just things go awry. Um, so... What I liked about theater camp is that it sets up the conflict really fast. You know, like you you jump in, this movie's only 90 minutes, so it has to set up that story, mm -hmm. that conflict really early. And it does it very soon. Like Joan goes into that coma, like within the first few minutes. What a way to grab your audience right at the beginning yes. of the movie. And it is this mockumentary style, too, where it is showing archival photos of a lot of the past years of the camp. Um, it's doing the sort of shaky cam, like... Um, candid camera sort of thing where a camera's in the room capturing these people. They know they're part of a documentary and there are title cards that say like, you know, despite Joan falling into a coma two days before camp, uh, we decided to continue on with the documentary mm -hmm. and this is what we captured. So you're getting a lot of that context in new ways as opposed to other comedies. So I loved all that stuff. Um, love the fish out of water story with um, the character of Troy, who's played by uh, Jimmy Tatro, who's been in a lot of um, sort of goofy comedies. A lot of them I haven't seen, but I definitely recognize his face. I would uh, definitely recommend him in uh, the show uh, American Vandal. He's in the first season of American Vandal, yes, that was um, on which is ID also yeah. a, um, a mockumentary. It's a parody of Making a Murderer. Um, and it is right. very funny. Right. Would I've recommend both that. the first and second season. Yeah, so he brings a lot of that experience here. He's just the perfect person to play this role. He's yeah. just like totally clashes with the personality of this camp. And so it's funny to see him like get up on stage and try to talk to the campers. And they're totally not interested. Like mm -hmm. he cannot lead this place. But also he's sort of responsible for solving a lot of the financial troubles that the camp is uh, having. So loved his character, loved that is just a complete clash there. Um, the comedy is very similar to like uh, The Office in style, you know, a lot of those kinds of um, shows like uh, Parks and Rec and Arrested Development. Um, the joke count is just like off the charts, like mm -hmm. every minute there's just jokes flying. And it was actually such a large amount of jokes that I was missing some jokes. I was like laughing at things. And then while I'm laughing, a character's delivering a, mm -hmm. another joke. Um, a lot of jokes are like visual gags. Like you see uh, uh, Amos's um, bumper sticker on his car. He's one of the mm -hmm. camp staffers. And you see just a quick shot. His bumper sticker says, mom, dad, I'm a thespian. You know, and it's just so like there's those all over just littered throughout the, the film. And so I found this to be really funny. I've seen a couple comedies this year, and I think this is my favorite one. Um, and I'd say like one thing that I wish they would have committed to a little bit more uh, is like some of the mockumentary style approach things mm -hmm. because they kind of abandoned that maybe 20 or 30 minutes in where they're doing the archival photos they're doing um, the uh, 
like title card stuff, they stop doing that after a certain time. And then it sort of just feels like an episode of The Office, mm -hmm. but set at a summer camp for theater kids, which is fine. But um, I think they could have like played with the storytelling even more with with more of that stuff. So really liked this. It is on Hulu. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I've been getting a lot of commercials for it when it was coming out. And it was a lot of people that I'd recognize that I've liked in other other projects, stuff like that. Yeah, I was really I think it's Tatro, I think is, is it I, Tatro? Yeah. Okay. Um Thank I you. when I first saw that I was like, this does not seem like something that he would be a part of, but given the description of his character, it fits it perfectly. Cause in everything I think in like I said, in uh uh, that the show, and then also in uh, t he's in Twenty Two Jump Street. Yes. I think also he plays this kind of meathead kind of broy guy. That's exactly all the time. who he is here. Like and that that is he that's his bit role, and that's like who he should just play for the rest of his and, life. And he does he does it really well. And yeah. so you surround him. I I mean I mean Ben Platt, big musical theater guy in the world, and and I. I'm familiar with like Molly Gordon and, and other people like that, but not in necessarily musical content or, mm -hmm. or something like that. But yeah. and Ben Platt is basically playing like a, a sarcastic version of himself almost. Okay. Like there's a little bit of meta thing going on. That's there, cool. So. I mean, it, it's funny because like I think he got a lot of backlash when he came back to do Dear Evan Hansen and stuff like that. And so maybe he can poke fun a yeah. little bit of that persona. Yeah, this a little is bit. a great like sort of rebound role. Like this is a really smart role to return to, and he had a, a hand in like helping to write it too. Yeah, I mean so. it's cool that there's so many writers that were involved with acting and stuff because obviously that means it's a personal project. Yes, for them. Yeah. So and like if you're someone who did theater in middle school or high school, mm -hmm. there are nuggets about this world that you will appreciate um, that are portrayed in this movie. Like you'll you'll point you'll do the like Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme thing because it's like, oh, I know exactly, I've been there because I did tech theater or I was yeah. an actor or I was a stage manager, whatever you might've done, you know, whatever role you did, big or small, yeah. helping on any theater production in your life, there's going to be a little nugget for you in here somewhere. Awesome. Well, that's Theater Camp. It's on Hulu. Um, so if you have an account, you might as well watch it. Good. It sounds like a good review yeah, from Bo. Really I know that. that I'm looking forward to it. Just haven't gotten around to it yet, but I'll have to add it to my list. Um, well, that'll make us move on to to Erica. Um, she's gonna get this. Talk about a horror film. What? I know, right? What? We're breaking the mold here. No way. Um, we're uh, this is a Shutter. Is this Shutter original? It is, uh -huh. it is um, a Shutter original film directed by Jennifer Reeder, who also directed Night's End, uh, another film you can watch on Shutter. That's um, also a fun movie. Uh, Perpetrator, I would say, is definitely a feminist horror film that just brims with. How would I put it? Womb in imagery, uh, yonic imagery, a lot of minstrel metaphors. Um, yes. The protagonist, Johnny, has a disorder in which she bleeds copiously from her eyes, mouth, and whatever, in the words of our <coughs> former president. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it isn't because she Weird when he a... showed up in the movie. Jimmy Carter? Jimmy Carter. Our former president, Jimmy Carter. The bleeding isn't because Johnny has a disease, but she does not yet know that she is part of a race of uh, shapeshifters and extreme empaths who can use their own blood to create portals into other dimensions. Whoa. This is a mm -hmm. weird movie. It's a very it has, strange movie. I've also lot. seen this you, movie. Okay, I was going to say, you seem to be on track with this. Yeah, yeah. it has a very striking um, poster. It, yes, it is it this one? Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah, and it, it. I would say, like, some people have said that it has some, like, David Lynch vibes, and I can kind of see that. And, yeah. Um, I've also heard comparisons to Cronenberg because of the body horror elements. Uh, but the the lead character uses her new uh, newfound abilities to solve uh, basically what's been happening to girls at her high school who have gone missing, and and one was found murdered. So it's um, it's just just the satirical elements are like a thing I particularly love. Like there are all these um, drills and self defense classes like. We're gonna simulate an active shooter scenario at the school, and then it's like the the teacher doing these drills is just giving 
the worst possible advice that would just get people killed. It and uh, he's telling girls in the self defense class to just uh, just feel their full anxiety and just freeze and don't fight back. Yeah, <laughs> it's, the it's yeah the principal he's played by Chris Lowell and he. Uh, I really loved him in this because he's so over the top. Like he isn't, I can't remember. Is he like singing a song or something while he's going down the hallway or something like that? I can't remember, but he's got like a mask on and he's like yelling at the girls like you're dead. And like, like I'm going to have to tell your parents about this and stuff like that. (laughs) And he's just very over the top and I'll have these big assemblies where, yeah, like he's giving these, uh, weird and it, it kind of feels out of place a little bit at times and then it comes back around at the end uh, without giving away any spoilers yeah, but there's there's definitely um a lot about like kind of what it's like to grow up as a girl in a patriarchal society and just kind of this constant state of paranoia about having to be responsible for guarding against your own potential victimization in any given scenario um, another uh, like cool thing with this film would be um, Alicia Silverstone's uh, role as uh, kind of the, the ice queen aunt of mm-hmm. the lead character. <laughs> yeah, she is a lot of fun in this. Yeah. Um, the, the I would say the, the only thing that I enjoy this movie as well, um, the only thing I would say is it almost felt like the two storylines like kind of – seem it would be like her learning her her powers i guess and then this like kidnapped girl plot kind of going on and it felt a little bit disjointed at times i feel like it wraps up very well in the last like 20 minutes or so yeah i i really liked the end because there's kind of this mystery about her father and stuff like that and then you start to learn more about that and i think it kind of tied things together but then it's weird because this town, yeah, there's all these girls missing and no one really seems to care that much. Yeah, it's, just, it was, it's like, oh, it's just another day, another mm, classmate's missing. It's almost like dairy mentality, like where it's like all these kids are going missing in dairy gotcha. for it. Yeah. And they're like, oh, OK. Or or the black phone town, right. I guess. But the plot needs to keep plotting. It, yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but overall – yeah, I, I loved it. It's it's a really weird film, but I am definitely going to watch it again. It sounds like it is one of those horror films that isn't just a horror film for horror's sake. It sounds like it has good social commentary, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like a metaphor for that. Do you both agree that that is the case here? Yeah, I would say so. I would okay. agree. And I wouldn't say, even though it does have those kind of body horror, horror aspects to it, it's not I like, wouldn't say it's full Cronenberg. It's no, not. It's, okay. it's got a lower barrier of entry in that so regard for other i guess yeah we're all seasoned <laughs> so horror movie fans but compared to you like i like i love horror, horror films but compared to you all you might consider me a dabbler in horror films <laughs> just because of the sheer amount you've seen so this might be a good one for me to see yes just as someone who doesn't watch as many yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's very unique uh okay yeah. yes i like unique it, it I love unique. Yeah. sense yes. of humor just kind of surreal little art house sweet yeah. I, I totally dig out art house stuff. So and Shutter's been kind of on a roll, in my opinion. A lot of their original content mm-hmm. has been has been pretty quality. But I guess that's them probably just knowing their audience and knowing what to put out. Um, well, that's Perpetrator. It's on Shutter. So if you have Shutter, um, you should check it out. Hey Shutter, why don't you throw us a little bit of something, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Shutter. Hashtag At Shutter. Shutter. There we go. <laughs> At Shutter CEO. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What's their name? <laughs> that's their that name. Mr. Shutter. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, we'll transition into my uh, movie for tonight. I'm also doing a comedy. Um, this one came out a little bit ago, came out in June, but um, I really want to talk about it because you just don't see movies like this anymore. <laughs> um, and it is no hard feelings. Uh, this is from director Gene. Uh, Stubnitsky, who um, he he's mainly just written things. He directed Good Boys. I don't know if you guys saw Good Boys. I didn't. Did you see that? I did. Uh, I enjoyed. Uh, yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Good Boys, but it the thing is, is you you it basically felt like a um, super bad for children. Uh-huh. Yeah, R rated and all that. Yeah, but all but definitely pared down for the 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 crowd. 
that it was a part of, but ultimately still a good movie. But he he wrote Year One, which not a oh, huge yeah. fan of, and Bad Teacher, which I thought mm-hmm. had parts to it that was funny. But he also wrote 15 episodes of The Office. Um, so has a has a a, a decent background. Um, but this this film, if you haven't heard about it, it I, would you say it was kind of controversial when it came out? I didn't hear about controversy, but if you heard about that, tell us. I'm okay, curious. so so just a, a quick synopsis is um, on the brink of losing her home, Maddie finds an intriguing job listing. Um, helicopter parents looking for someone to bring their introverted 19-year-old son out of his shell before college. Um, she has one summer to make him uh, to make him a man. That's the that's the IMDb, and I think that's a good uh, description of it. Uh, when this first came out, there I I felt like I guess online controversy um, because it's a 30-year-old woman who is hired to potentially have sexual relations with, with a, a high boy. with yeah. a high schooler. Sure. Um, now the the boy or the the person involved is of age. Right. So 19-year-old. 19-year-old um, about to go to college and the the thing that I thought was so interesting about this movie is that it is it just puts it out there. Like she is um she finds a Craigslist ad. She's an Uber driver, and she her car is getting taken away from her because of parking tickets. Actually, um, by um, I, from also from the bear. You brought up a character. Io Edabiri. But oh. um, uh, Eben Moss Bachrock. Oh, okay. Um, who I don't know if you guys saw the bear. Sorry, I'm getting off track there. Um, it plays an ex boyfriend who who takes her car because of. Tickets, and she finds Craigslist list ad to um, date the son, and it's not just like a we're gonna have you date your son. They basically imply that you should like have relations <laughs> with him, which which really caught uh, caught me off guard. How like out in the open. Right. They are about it. Right. It's not like they're hiring someone to just be a best friend for their introverted kid. I, exactly. It and is. Our kid is behind, basically. It yes. Needs to, yeah. and, and that's essentially the way it is. And that's what kind of caught me off guard with the movie because I figured, like, okay, there's going to be, like, implied stuff or whatever. But they are, I mean, without saying exact words, are very direct about what they want her to do right. with him. Right. And so there's this... Um, kind of pull of her doing the right thing, but also being with someone who is technically an adult, but yeah. also a high school student. It so, feels like any other movie's plot would be slightly different where it'd be, we're hiring you to like be his friend. And then they'd like secretly fall in love or something. And then it's like, sh- is this okay? Should we be in love? Exactly. Here, yeah. I see what you mean. It's yeah, out in the open. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I personally, I thought this movie was really funny. Um, I think Jennifer Lawrence goes for it. I think that um, she's also a producer on this, so I think that helps too. But she um, is very funny. She has a lot of one-liners. She's very sarcastic throughout the movie. Um, She has these two friends um, played by Natalie Morales and Scott MacArthur who are also very fun um, that just like to surf and like hang out and and they stuff like the like, beach. They like to the beach. <laughs> they just beach each other off. Everywhere. Um, if you haven't listened to the Barbenheimer episode or from, seen from Barbie, or, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm always like, going to point us back I to the episode. To, and right. that, no. um, There's prerequisite material to understanding that joke, but um, but yeah, and it's it's basically just her kind of dealing with um, becoming an adult, being kind of separate from this like teenage high school young crowd and mm. feeling like an older person. And that's also kind of represented in the fact that she's lived in this town. Uh, it's Montauk, New York. Um, and everyone is just moving away. Everyone is kind of selling their homes and she's kind of staying there. Um, and there's this through line plot of her. She grew up, she was there with her mom and her dad really wasn't in the picture. And it's kind of like her holding that piece with her mom, um, still there. Cause her mom has now passed. Um, but uh, I, I thought this movie, yeah, like I said, it was very funny. Uh, it is pretty conventional, I would say, in some of its plotting. Um, I mean, there is kind of that aspect that Bo alluded to of the, oh, we're a hire, I'm hired to be in this 
role and then, oh, I actually like being with this person. I will say that um, towards the end, it does veer in a different direction that I, that I think is a little bit more um, satisfying mm-hmm. in that it isn't like beat for beat what you would expect from something like this. Um, but you just don't see very many kind of raunchy comedies. Yeah. Like mid budget films that maybe only come out a few times a year. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, um, it's good to have these types of movies every once in a while and they're becoming more and more rare. Yes. And, and so I, it's, I was very happy to see that. I mean, this movie has a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it was, uh, doing well, um, I believe it made it did make money, so I hope that this opens the the door for for comedies because it feels like everything is a something comedy. It's mm-hmm. an action comedy, or it's a horror comedy, mm-hmm. or it's something like yeah. that. And, and it's just nice to see um, straight comedies. Um, so shout out both Bo and I talking about comedies we're, this episode. We're back, baby. We're back. <laughs> what is it? Two thousand and seven again? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it uh, does feel like that. Yeah, and so. Um, yeah, I would definitely recommend this. I saw this on Amazon. Um, I just rented it from Amazon. Gotcha. Um, I'm not sure if it is on anything right now. I don't think so. According to Letterboxd, it is not on anything that I follow, anything that I have a subscription to. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you're probably going to have to go and rent it on Amazon right now, but I would definitely recommend it. Um, if it looks like something you would be interested in, you're probably going to enjoy it. Yeah. This. So is there going to be a sequel called No Harder Feelings? I mean, if this was the 80s, probably, probably right? Yeah, yeah. No hardest feelings. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it does, it has a nice conclusion. I guess they probably could. They could go into the college days after that. But but yeah. 10 uh, years later, he gets hired to, no, that's bad. No, scrap that idea. That is so bad. No. You know what? That is, that's controversial. That would right be there. controversial right there. Um, but yeah. Oh, also, I wanted to shout out uh, Matthew Broderick. Plays his dad. His dad, nice. um, Also very fun in this movie. He's got weird hair, in my opinion, though. He's got long hair, which is very strange to me. That sounds like the dad that would just be down for this idea. Yeah. You know, I see no no notes. Let's do this. <laughs> that does seem like a good casting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I already mentioned the friends, but also, yeah, him. Kyle Mooney comes in for a scene. He's very funny. <laughs> Um, Hassan Minaj is in it. He is funny. Um, so it's nice to see these little, these little, um, cameos, I guess that are, they're actually pretty well done, but yeah, that is no hard feelings. Um, is it about that time? It's about that time. It's about that time for our featured film, A Haunting in Venice. Um, so this is in post-World War II Venice, HP. Love now right. retired there you go. There you go. and living in his own exile, he reluctantly attends a seance, but when one of the guests is murdered, it is up to the former detective to once again uncover the killer. Um, this is also directed by Kenneth Branagh, um, kind of just keeping the same uh, directing and starring. Uh, I will say, just to kick it off, the directing in this movie is substantially different, mm-hmm. in my opinion, to... The other films in this series, as yeah. well as um, just Branagh's work in general. Bo and I were actually in the – we saw it at the same we theater at together, the same time. We saw it together, but not together. But not together. But not together. I mean, it was the same showtime, and Jake saw me and said, Bo! And yes. so that was awesome. So, nice. Yeah. Um, but that was the first thing that I kind of wanted to bring up with this is um, lots of like fisheye lens style filming – Dutch angles, mm-hmm. yes, close-ups, um, just wide angles, just generic like wide angles of the whole room. Yeah, um, like they do the I, I don't know what the shot is called, but the camera on chest thing where they where you strap the camera and you're walking down a hallway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. just oh, to follow yeah. from the front, just to yeah. follow from the front style, which I you don't really the ever tracking, see tracking sort of front like, tracking guess, shot. Yeah, but where it's like. On the person right. is what it feels like. Right, right, right. Um, um, stuff, I noticed that one shot where he's rotating and the camera's sort of following his profile, his mm-hmm. close-up profile, mm-hmm. and you're seeing the side characters out of focus. That's really interesting stuff, too. Yeah, it's cool to see someone who has, who has directed a lot of movies at this point try to do something completely different. Right. And I, I wouldn't call this this movie a straight horror by any means. Definitely There's not. horror aspects to it. 
but it has horror moments, but they're very sparse. Yes, and we can get into that more. But um, Erica, why don't you give us your first? Oh, my first impression is like I feel like the strongest element of the movie is the visual style, and not just the camera work like you were mentioning, but like the Venice location is stunning. Um, I just I like the the creepy, very Halloween appropriate uh, vibe of the set pieces. Um, everything's a little foggy. There's a lot of candlelight or torchlight in the outdoor scenes. And it, it just uh, makes the whole film eye candy, in my opinion. So even though I definitely would not consider this a horror film, it's definitely kind of a spooky film that you could uh, enjoy uh, this time of year, especially if you're not into typical horror films, mm-hmm. but yeah. just want something a little spooky. I will say, like, I went to this with my wife as well. Um, so I went to this with Jake and my wife. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but my wife joined me. Lexi was also there. Lexi was well. also in attendance. I took those three people. But anyway, my wife, she is not a horror person. But she knew this was the sequel to Death on the Nile, mm-hmm. and she had seen Murder on the Orient Express. So this is like her style. And even knowing that it's called A Haunting in Venice, that sounds like that's like the scariest sounding title. She was still interested in seeing it. And there was only one moment where she truly was like scared. Like she really cannot take horror vibes mm-hmm. at all. But she sat through the whole movie and enjoyed it. Yeah. Nice. I, yeah, I think this is if a movie that, yeah, if you want to watch something around the Halloween time, I guess, but you don't. Yeah, you don't like horror movies. You can yeah. add this. I mean, I feel like people. There is more. There is violence, obviously, because it's a a movie about a murder mystery. Um, but I like to call them kind of gateway horror movies, um, where it's like Gremlins and the movie <laughs> The Gate um, would fall into this, where they have horror elements. They're a little bit spooky. They're not too over the top, mm-hmm. but you, you can could, kind of you could still take kids of a certain age to see them. Yes. Yes. And you could, and they're going to have a good time, get kind of that spooky stuff without it being too uh, traumatizing, we'll say. That's such a good observation, you two. Because, like, there is a spectrum of horror. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's not like movies are not horrific at all, not scary at all, and then, like, completely just poop your pants scary. Mm -hmm. There's, it's somewhere in the middle, maybe like on the string closer to the lower end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bo, what did you think? So I've seen the first two Poirot movies with Kenneth Branagh, and this is my favorite one. It's not like a masterpiece to me, but slowly and slowly I'm liking the movies more and more every time one comes out. So like for me, Orient Express was probably uh, five out of 10 for me. Death on the Nile was, I know a lot of people hated it, uh, but I also know a lot of you enjoyed it maybe more mm-hmm. than you expected. For me, that was like a six out of 10 movie. This is like a seven out of 10 movie. Okay. So like at this rate in three Poirot movies, that will be a 10 out of 10. <laughs> maybe the best movie of all time. Maybe the best movie of all time. Best murder mystery of all time. I maybe. think Agatha Christie wrote a couple more books. Oh, she, there are a lot. I think there are the, a lot. I think there's, the a, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> sure. as, like specifically Poirot, you know, you'd think like, oh, well, she has other characters and other stories. Well, Poirot is a character that she wrote about a lot and they yeah. have a deep well to just mine there too. And they might do that. So- in three movies worth, maybe I'll be saying, hey, it's, that's a 10 out of 10. But yeah, I agree with so much of what Erica said. I thought this was like just much more immersive with the production design um, and just how real and organic everything felt. This place that they're trapped in is a real place. Mm-hmm. It's not like this green screen uh, you know, marathon that we had in Death on the Nile mm-hmm. where it just – that movie had a certain amount of like artifice to it, like a – you could just tell we're on a movie set in a lot of that movie. Yeah. This movie, I being in the dark theater and then this movie being set in a dark place really put me there. And um, it's only like an hour and 40 minutes, I want to say. Yeah. I felt like this movie was kind of a slow burn, but I also didn't feel the time pass too. So like we get the information at a good clip. Um, I like the the tempo of interviewing people and then a surprise happens and then interviewing people and then a surprise happens. I feel like that happens in the other Poirot films and a a lot of Agatha Christie Mm -hmm. stories. So it's just committing to that style here again. That's still very much intact. Um, But yeah, the ambiance, the spookiness is definitely new and interesting. And I also like that Poirot in this film is sort of, he has this internal kind of like, 
maybe maybe it's not a huge struggle, but it's a conversation with himself mm-hmm. about sort of semi-retiring. And then he's pulled into this murder mystery and yeah. he's, he's doing it again. And I think that internal conflicts comes about in what happens to him in the movie. You know, there's there are times where he's disoriented and he's hallucinating or maybe he's not hallucinating. And that's a big mm-hmm. question that's very interesting for us, the audience. And so I was asking myself, oh, my gosh, is this actually happening or is it fake? And he was asking that, too. So I thought the movie put us there really well. Yeah, I, I think that he uh, something that would make sense for his character being such a observant, like kind of. I mean, he's speculating on everything all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, He has this whole kind of plot where he doesn't believe in the afterlife. He's kind of thrown out any feelings towards like a higher power or anything like that. And so it's this kind of test of faith throughout the movie as well, kind of, um, because he is experiencing things that he can't explain. But he's got this skeptic mentality the entire time, which comes with the territory of being a detective. Um, What I will say about this movie is when I got out of the theater, I was a little bit underwhelmed. Um, I Now that I've slept on it a little bit, it started to come up a little bit for me. Um, I think the things I really enjoyed with it were um, the definitely the production design um, and the change of uh, style from the other movies. Um, and I did I did like the plotting. Um, I always love a good interview style movie when you can kind of get information from that. I think the things that kind of um, didn't work as well for me is I some of the performances I, was I didn't about love. To- Bring up one um, in particular. <laughs> there was one in particular that sat with me as well, um, and that was Tina Fey. Same here. Um, okay, yep. I it, it sounded like she was doing kind of an Audrey Hepburn style impersonation. Oh, yeah, there was that. a very sing-songy style that she kind of would talk like all the time. Well, them. it was an early scene when she first like encounters Poirot and they like start hanging out. Her performance was kind of giving me like theater stage theater uh, performance like she, it seemed like she was almost acting big but yeah. in a movie you want to act small because the camera is so much closer um so it kind of felt like some mm. of the stage performances i've seen set in that period and it just felt like yeah. she was maybe in a different maybe not a different movie but just a different medium like a different format mm. of performance that's fair and I, I think when you pair it with some of the other performances that I did enjoy, it felt a little bit more over the top. Like, um, I really enjoyed um, the character Olga, who is the housekeeper. Mm. I liked her. Um, she's this very vulnerable, um, emotional character that is a very. She's a, a, a. She was a part of a convent, so she has. She's this kind of the other side of the coin, kind of. And I really liked her performance in it, um, but. I, I just thought it was a little bit distracting. Um, I also wish that we would have gotten a little bit more um, feel for some of the characters. I felt like some of the introductions were a little bit rushed, in my opinion, um, particularly like Jamie Dornan's character. I mm. would have liked a little bit more of. Um, I feel like in the previous two movies, you kind of they make kind of a grand gesture to kind of introduce these characters, and I kind of want that from a murder like a whodunit movie um where like i feel like i don't care as much if i'm just like okay who is this person The knives out movies do that really well exactly in both the first and the second one they do and it's almost like superhero intro kind of thing yeah where there's kind of the hero shot it's very fast efficient storytelling and it kind of can feel superficial but when you have that ensemble you kind of need it to just go at a really fast clip that's that's fair. I just it, it it was one of those things where I, I think I was just craving more of that yeah. from this. No, I, I totally agree with you on that, because like there were times when he was interviewing someone, he was getting their alibi or just like talking to them about the facts. And I was still like not understanding, OK, what's your occupation? What is are you the brother, sister, aunt, mm-hmm. uncle? Are you the housekeeper? What? So. I eventually got the information, but it was while they were telling me other crucial information too. Where yeah. you kind of have to be paying attention to other yeah. things as well. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of leads me to my last thing is I felt like he kind of just got it like HP, like at the end, like it didn't feel as 
building up to me as I maybe would have liked it to also where it was just like one little piece of evidence ends up kind of setting off this chain reaction of all (laughs) these different things. And I was like, Oh, okay. I I think I would have liked it a little bit more if it was like, okay, we find this out from this thing. We find this thing out from this Mm -hmm. thing. Instead, it's just like all of the information right now, this is the whole thing. Um, I will, I will say though, that unlike the other ones, I guess spoilers to the first two movies. Uh, Yeah, sure. I guess I feel like that's that's a good warning. It's, it's like kind of everyone. Yeah, murder the, on the Orient Express is everyone stabbing the guy, uh-huh. taking it. I stab him. Here's the knife. I you stab him. Yeah, and in this one, I liked that there was a, and we can get into it in the spoilers, so I won't say it right now. But it's kind of like this is the person, the, yes. this is who done it, and right. type of thing. And I I enjoyed that aspect of it, but I felt like kind of the the conclusion to me felt rushed because I didn't feel like he was gaining the information. In the way, but maybe that's just my interpretation. Well, I th- a lot of that, I think, is the structure, you know, because you've got your your first, second, and third acts in mm-hmm. a traditional structure. And I feel like the third act of this movie comes to us, and it is clearly like the third act, but there's very little fanfare. There's very little, like, there's, there's not that clear moment of, oh my gosh, this is the third act, at least that I felt. I, and so yeah, when I he can... sits down, mm-hmm. basically the beginning of the third act is after he is done interviewing everybody. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily know when that is because I'm not keeping track in my mind of like, oh yeah, he has three more people left to interview. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm trying to just follow the facts. Yeah. And so then when it's time, it does feel a little bit sudden. I, I agree with you. But- there's something about that I kind of liked. I kind of liked that this lacked that sort of standard Hollywood thing of like, here's this huge, big WTF thing. And like, mm-hmm. this is obvious. Okay, I see where we are in the movie's structure now. So it kind of like made me not really feel where we were in the runtime. So that's in a, fair. on the other side of the coin, I actually did kind of like that. But I also totally under, understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Should we just get into spoilers probably? I don't know. Yeah. Is there anything else anyone wants well, to say? Just Other than Tina Fey, was there someone else you said you weren't as keen on in terms of their performance? Or? I I thought that uh, another one that I was kind of hit or miss with was Jamie Dornan a little bit. Mm-hmm. I thought he, I mean, he plays kind of a broken man uh, a little bit. And I thought that I know that trauma. a lot of trauma and it was very outward a lot of the time. Yeah. And and so maybe some of that was... Oh, just some, that it was so visible that he was a basket case or... Yeah, yeah just, for someone... But I guess it's also kind of... Uh, you could also look at it as a, as, a, as a nice thing because you see this kind of switched dynamic. I really did like the dynamic like flipped, with him and his son who's played by Jude Hill. I really liked that child actor in this role, but he is a very adult little kid because he has to be his dad's caretaker. Yeah, where the dad is basically the child and the child is the dad, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I I like that when it kind of came to a head, I think, at the end of the movie when he kind of has this console, well, towards the end, um, kind of a consoling scene mm-hmm. type of thing. But like the like we walk in, or Jamie Dornan walks in, he's immediately like crying or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a choice. This is kind of an interesting thing. Um, but th- those were really the only two. It was mainly Tina Fey was kind of the one that I, I was a little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely have to agree with that. Like, I'm, at least there were so many characters that when I felt like her performance was kind of off, it's not like it ruined the movie because there was a lot of other stuff going on. But I felt like her character was... Or she was fine when her character was being kind of sassy and a little snarky, but um, more dramatic scenes. I just I feel like Tina Fey's strength is not as a dramatic actress. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, she just needs more experience. Yeah, <laughs> more more dramatic roles for Tina Fey right, is what we're the saying. Jumping off point, baby. <laughs> yeah, it all started with Haunting in Venice. There you go. Yeah. Um, anything else before? I wanted to just point out this movie has a scary cockatoo. Like not 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 oh, that yeah. the cockatoo is like possessed or anything, but like never seen that before. It That's would be pretty so iconic. Cool if it were possessed. Like, yeah. The the mixing in this movie was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, tell us about that. Uh, it was 
I would call this a pretty quiet movie in yes. general. Oh, yeah. yeah, people uh, are like almost whispering. Pretty much the entire points. movie. And then the loudest thing you've ever heard in your life. Yes. Usually the cockatoo. Um, but that was, I guess ah! that was also something. <laughs> ah, Jesus. That was also something that I was a little bit like, I don't know, I didn't love about this movie mm-hmm. is that a lot of the horror aspects are jump scares. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of like spooky thing pops into the screen yes. or cockatoo screams or something like that. And the one that really got my wife and you know, you could mm-hmm. sense it coming in the moment, but it still got her was ju- the one with the mirror. Where yeah. When mm. he's in oh, the bathroom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like that one was, I found that one scary too, but yeah, yeah it is like sudden, just, we're going to scare you with a quick image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that it, it doesn't feel as earned in the, in the horror scared apartment in my opinion mm-hmm. when it's stuff like that um but like we said it's not really a, a straight horror movie so i think it's fine right. um especially since it's you're kind of a darkly lit place and stuff like that so it kind of adds to this atmosphere but i think we just get into spoilers yeah. then right real quick i wanted to share just a anecdote from our showing it's something <laughs> you know because i told you after the show yes. we talked but um behind me there was this guy who really didn't make a peep the whole movie, but there's a moment in this film, and this isn't a spoiler, but there's a moment in this film where you just see the word apple, okay? The word right, a- right. the word apple is revealed. That I don't think that spoils anything. No. And the guy behind me, he says, apple, when that happened. <laughs> it's like, thanks, dude. I can read. Like, like just, oh, we found the missing piece. Really quick side comment. It's it really annoys me. It grinds my gears in movies when people like recite information from the movie, whether right it's there. a line spoken by a character and they're just like repeating it like a joke and they just say it again, like or it's a word on screen and they just say it out loud. Why do people do that? They're crazy. If you do that, you're insane. I, and I hate you. No, I don't hate you, but don't do that. What if every single person that listens to this, what if that guy's listening to this episode? <laughs> yeah, I was at South Point at 7 p.m. You were sitting in chair. Uh, yeah, yeah, age, age 8 or whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> Stop don't, talking. If you see Bo walk in that theater, you better turn around it's, and get out of here. Or, or if he sneaks up behind you and says, Apple. Yeah, but like... It's almost like he couldn't control himself. Like he's assembling the words or he's assembling the letters because the letters are sort <laughs> of spread kind of out. Jumbled a little they bit, they yeah. have huge amount of kerning on those letters. Yes. Right. So he's assembling it in his mind. So am I, but I'm not saying anything. And he gets to the word and there's something about him that just, he can't keep it inside. And he just has to go Apple. Like it has to come out. <laughs> I have to, I have to announce the world that it's Apple. You want to make sure you knew what was going on though. I think there's no better uh, way to to finish our non-spoiler section than that. <laughs> I knew that wasn't a spoiler, and I just really had to share about it. So. Uh, no, that's I'm sorry. No, I we were laughing about that when you when you told us last night after we got out of the out of the. And movie. then that sort of just ruined the immersion for a good like five minutes because then uh, I looked over at my wife and we were trying not to burst out laughing, <laughs> and then movie ends, credits start rolling, and she texts me just the word Apple, and I just like you've got a wonderful inside joke now. it's so good i'm gonna use that like anytime we're in a movie now just yeah <laughs> um all right well let's listen uh to the bumper and then we'll be back with the spoiler section could it really be that simple secret lies with charlotte open the pod bay doors hell i'm sorry dave I'm afraid I can't do that. Aren't you asking us to accept a pretty incredible coincidence? I'm just saying a coincidence is possible. And I say it's not possible. Here's those keys, Rose. You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Silent Green is people! The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, he's gone. All right, and we're back with the spoilers for A Haunting in Venice. And with a whodunit, Obviously, the big spoiler is who did it? Right. Um, is that the first thing we want to talk about? Or is there anything else before that that we want to get into? No, I mean, there's kind of a lot of spoilers along the way. Um, like Tina Fey's character, for example. Not the killer, but uh, definitely had other ulterior motives, you could say, with 
that invitation to the seance. Yeah, there's yeah. kind of a whodunit within the whodunit mm-hmm. type of thing where you have a reveal that her and um, his personal bodyguard. Yeah, that he hires just while he's in Venice. Yes. Yeah. And uh, this uh, medium who we haven't talked about from yeah, uh, yeah, Michelle, Michelle Yeoh. Yeoh. Uh, yeah. Um, who, Joyce. Yes, yeah. who is like. who is the the body the mm. uh, the initial uh well I guess is technically the <laughs> the real who done it also a bunch of is the the daughter because the yeah, whole yeah. the whole plot is that um this this um she's a, is she a retired singer yeah she's Opera like singer? an operatic singer yeah. yes um her daughter uh passed away under suspicious kind of uh, events and she's bringing this medium in to to be able to contact her daughter for the for the last time or yes. for, uh, like through the great beyond and uh, Tina Fey's character who is a novelist is a crime novelist who made um, him famous made HP famous yeah basically basically the Agatha Christie yeah she's kind like, of the surrogate surrogate yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, is like I believe this lady, like there's a light, or she's like trying to bring she's, in. Yeah, legitimizing the seance. Yes. Uh, you find out later that she's kind of doing that because she wants to use her as a subject for a future book and bringing in this world-renowned detective who is also stumped would really kind of fuel the fire to this new book. Yes, um, make tons of money. It's basically a financial motivation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's kind of a reveal at the beginning towards towards the end but um you kind of later find out that just because they're involved with this does not necessarily mean that they're involved with the murder who ends up being dun 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 well i guess technically <laughs> it's the housekeeper is the murderer well, technically. T- well technically. technically technically the That's, housekeeper is you the know murderer. what damn it this is closer to the knife like everybody's using the knife to stab oh, yeah, the guy yeah. everyone the, is nefarious really. in this movie no yeah. it's it's fine um you find out that there's kind of a munchausen by proxy situation going on where um the mom is kind of giving a little bit of poison to her daughter. Yeah, so basically it's hallucinogenic honey. Yes. From from some toxic rhododendrons. There yeah. you go. I did Rhododendric not know hallucinogenic All you honey. Botanists and beekeepers out. out there. Um, Time to do a little Google research about rhododendrons. <laughs> I know. I thought that was like a shape from geometry. <laughs> it does sound like that, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> when they said it in the movie, I was like, wait, that's a plant? <laughs> That's how little I know. So I learned something. But um, she's she's giving her this this honey, um, and it's kind of causing her to hallucinate and kind of kind of feed this. Oh, this is a haunted house type of yes vibe. Um, and because of that, the housekeeper who is none the wiser, who believes in these spirits, believes in all these things. Um, and thinks the honey is just honey. Thinks that honey and has seen it as a kind of calming mechanism right. that the do- that the mom has been doing is whenever she kind of works herself up, she gives her this tea with honey in it. And what she does is she puts an extra spoonful in there yeah. for her and it's too much and it causes her to pass away. Yeah. Um, and in this kind of... I don't know what to do situation. The mother decides to frame it like the the children of the orphanage, the ghosts of the children of the orphanage have seek their revenge or something like that. I thought that was kind of an interesting plot element because they kind of frame it like she committed suicide, but then also like she was attacked by the children with the the claw marks right. in very, her back, very convenient that that was like a, already a, an established oh, yeah, ghost she, story. Yeah, yes, that <laughs> in with the ghost story. That's... Yeah, did you feel like that was um, a satisfying ending? Uh, I, I, I was yeah. fine with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it. So um, it starts as oh, this was a suicide, mm-hmm. and then we really quickly start to suspect that this was a murder. And one moment I really liked, you talked about the housekeeper, uh, Olga, mm-hmm. is pointing out that, like, yeah, technically she served the dosage that killed her. But then, like, it makes you ask these interesting questions of, like, who's really at fault? And, like, what is the intent of the mm-hmm. characters? Because obviously mm-hmm. the housekeeper didn't intend to kill the daughter. 
uh, the mom didn't intend to ever give her daughter that dosage of honey. Mm-hmm. But then when she died, she made that decision to basically cover it up. And then people noticed uh, that the mom yeah. noticed all this evidence of the mom and started to uh, blackmail her. And that's a whole thing, too. So I thought there were like layers upon layers of like intent mm-hmm. and motivation and guilt and fault that were very interesting. And we see the housekeeper, Olga, when Poirot is going through all these steps that we've been talking about. Olga breaks down and she's like, I had no idea. And that guilt was like really powerful emotionally. And, and that was why I thought she was the best in the movie yeah. because I thought that she really conveyed those emotions both when she's just kind of in fear of what this house is and then also the guilt and 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 that type of feeling at the end um but yeah uh Erica so okay I had to search rhododendron side tangent which never what? happens on the yeah, show yeah that's a first um, according to the Royal Botanic Gardens website, rhododendrons are responsible for producing the world's first recorded chemical weapons. Whoa, Several historical wow. accounts from what is now modern Turkey cite the use of so-called mad honey to stupefy naive invading armies, making them easier to attack. Well, there you go. All right. you learn. See, this is why you got to listen to this show, because you don't just learn about movies, but you learn about... Chemical warfare, yeah, and, which is uh, chemical yeah. warfare. Last episode, <coughs> yes. Exactly. That, oh my yeah, gosh, there's a theme. It's a sequel. Yeah, it's a, a sequel. No, there's a tie-in. <laughs> um, I, I will say the the only the the murder though murder in parenthesis or in quotes sort of I guess. Um, murder. <laughs> well, I was gonna say is I thought the the Jamie Dornan murder was a little bit silly. Mm-hmm. Oh, that one. Oh um, yeah, that he's she... basically blackmailed into falling onto his own knife. Yes. While he's locked in the room, the mom, the, I'm sorry, I forget her name. Uh, uh, Kelly Riley is the actress. Uh, Rowena. Rowena calls him on like the internal phone. And so only he hears her and she's like, yeah, I'm going to kill your son. And unless you kill yourself, I guess. And that goes back to your point about him just being so quick with his motivations Mm -hmm. and outward with his motivations that I kind of hear you on that where it's like, yeah, this character feels sort of out of place because he doesn't feel as grounded as the other people. Yeah, I, I guess more of what I was saying with the silly is that it's literally a visualization of him putting a knife on the ground and then or against a wall or, and then yeah, against like a or, cabinet or something yeah. and, and just like leaning into it, into it or know, something. Yeah. And I was like, is that oh, how people would do it? <laughs> I guess yeah. if you wanted to stage it so it looked like someone stabbed you in the back, I, I guess, guess it checks out. I mean, but if you look at something like a knives out type of situation, I mean. You have a slit throat type of thing, like very easily could have been that right yeah. type of thing. Maybe it has to do with where the knife would have landed. I guess. You know, that's also like, true. If you slit your own throat, how do you place the knife in a way that makes it look like somebody else did that? I feel like if You're you s- dab yourself in the back, though, you could miss easier. I guess so, yeah. And now you just got a Maybe knife in your back at this point. I know, I've never done it, so I wouldn't That's know. true. I don't want to test hey, the... <laughs> next time any of us are stabbed in the back, um, <laughs> yeah. we'll report back to it. Um, <laughs> but I will say that there was a, another twist in this that I really enjoyed, was um, you find out later that the blackmail is actually coming from the small child. Yeah, yeah that's great. I uh, thought that was genius. Yeah, I, was I that one I I, I particular I really enjoyed. I thought that was a really cool twist. I had a feeling that kid would have some role to play because he was so smart mm-hmm. and they gave him a good amount of screen time like mm-hmm. especially when he's talking to Poirot after he's having all these hallucinations like this kid is he is capable. Like mm-hmm. he's going to do something. I just didn't know what it was. And, and because he is a a child, he's never really considered for the murder mm-hmm. also. So he kind of has to have a sideline role throughout the entire investigation. So it was cool to see him get reincorporated in such a big way. Um, I did really enjoy his performance though, too. I'm hit kids are hit or miss sometimes when they have to carry yeah, big scenes and stuff like that. And I think he really mm-hmm. did a good job. In I think this. he was like, one of the best uh, performances in this, in my opinion. Yeah. Of, of the side characters. Totally. Yeah. A- any other big spoilers that we wanted to? Um, there's the stuff with um, Joyce dying and like the whole reveal of what happened, like the order of events of him doing the bobbing for apples yes. oh, and then right. her getting pushed over that ledge onto the spike, which I thought was a really striking image yeah. done really well. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. 
when she fell on the spike, it reminded me of uh, the extended edition of Return of the King. Oh. That was the fr- oh yeah, which yeah. is also a stab in the back type of situation. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Different character. Saruman can tell us more about that. Well, <laughs> actually, um, there. Side note: Imagine that. Um, <laughs> wow, our when, second one ever. When okay. Peter Jackson was filming that scene, he he directed him to like do a scream or something like that. And uh, Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee who is playing Saruman, goes, Do you, have you ever been stabbed in the back before? And he goes, no. And he goes, well, I have. And that's not the sound that you make when you get stabbed <laughs> oh. in the back. Whoa. And okay. so the reaction that he has is actually from experience of getting stabbed Holy in the crap. back. Before. I forget exactly wow. what he does. He like, it like pulls all the, he's like, it pulls all the air out of your body basically. Oh, gotcha. And so it's kind of this like deep gasp. Interesting. Mm. And uh, just a little side note for that. Love that. Um, but Love that. I, I think that kind of just added to all the striking images though, going back to yeah. the movie. And I think that was my favorite part of the movie. So yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed Did that. Did you notice how crisp and sharp that silhouette was? Yes. Oh, that was so great. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of the gist of it though, right? Yeah. There's basically this whole mouse trap that gets set up with the order of events and mm-hmm. like we could meticulously go through and talk about all those. So like, we don't need to spoil re- details. It's really hard to just break all of that down because it is True. complicated. There, there's yeah. a lot going on. Um, w- one other thing I guess it reminded me of is, um, if you, um, Ari Aster fans out yep. there. Yep. <laughs> um, he has a short film called Munchausen mm. um, that is also kind of plays out the the, the final um, reveal of uh, kind of what the mom is doing basically exactly the same way. So mm. if you would like to check that out, I would definitely recommend it as well. Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't think we need to spoil details. I think no. we can leave it up to, I guess if you're listening to this part, we'd hope that you've seen it before yeah. or you've already seen it, but. Any thoughts on like the seance part and like Michelle Yeoh going crazy in the oh, chair? Yeah. I thought she was great with that scene. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I I mean, with a seance, I like, it felt, it was kind of brief. I would have liked a little bit more from Michelle Yeoh because she's so good and yeah. I liked all the stuff that was going on with it, but it's really just kind of a short scene, and then she's dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that could have had more of a buildup. That would have been really effective to just slowly get into it and hint at what mm-hmm. might happen more. Yeah, I, I just really liked her, and I liked the visuals and stuff, so I would have just liked more, but that's just a preference thing more yeah. than a, than anything else. Um, I thought her performance was really strong, yeah. for the. She's probably only on screen for... Yeah, like 15 minutes, 20 yeah, minutes. Definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely not, very not much. a lot of screen time, but she really sells that seance scene. Yes. Yeah. Uh, definitely when she's spinning around in a circle, like, and like yelling mm. and the voice and everything like that. Yes. So. And then Poirot talking to her afterwards and being like, well, did you talk to her? Like, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you know from the seance? And just mm-hmm. trying to dig more into, are you legit? Uh-huh. That was a yeah. good scene. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Well, that's a haunting in Venice. Um, I think... Even though I was a little bit lower on it, I still enjoyed it. Would recommend it. Um, definitely, if you've seen the other ones, I think this is a step in the right direction. It sounds like both of you enjoyed it. Yeah, I am uh-huh. in on Poirot. Like, I will see the next Poirot. Same here. Like, immediately. I mean, we'll probably, the next time so, this comes out, do another episode, How maybe. would you How would you rank the, the entries in this series? Ooh, Fun. that's a good point. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I... I actually liked Death on the Nile a decent amount. Um, I would probably go that one, this two. And then Murder. Murder on is the third one for cool. me. Opposite for me. Murder on the Orient Express top. Uh, Haunting in Venice, second place. Death on the Nile, third. But I liked all of them. I, did not, I did not hate Death on the Nile. So. And then wow. you already said three. Mine, yeah. Mine basically goes Haunting in Venice, favorite, uh, Number two is Death on the Nile, and number three is Murder on the Orient Express. So we so all have no different. Consensus. That's I love crazy. That. I wonder what Jared's would be and Lexi's. <laughs> Jared and Lexi will call if you're listening to this right now. <laughs> yeah, they're currently being us. stabbed in the back. <laughs> That's why they couldn't be here. <laughs> Jared and Lexi are currently being stabbed they're, in the back. Right they're doing now. research for the podcast, seeing like, like what okay, it's you like. Stab yeah. me in the back and then I'll right. stab you in the back and, and then, then they they talk to you and they're like wait when was the episode recording again <laughs> we have all this research now it's like oh we already recorded it sorry we'll, we'll bring that up in our next episode yeah. right there will be another horror film where someone gets stabbed yeah. there we go I, I assume next month will be a horror film 
Um, we have. I mean, that's always my bias, but I. I mean, I'm it is spooky to... season. Yeah. Um, there's a good one coming out. You should do that. There's I, Saw. Uh, Saw 10. X comes out X this I, weekend. I'll see it because not because I love the entire franchise, but because I'm a sucker. And if I've seen all the other ones in the theater, I'm gonna see this one in the theater okay. too. So I don't know if we've I've told this to you guys, but Lexi and I's first date we watched. Saw one, two, and three. Oh, that's oh my awesome! Gosh. Um, a triple feature. A triple on, feature. On a first date. Wow, on the, that yeah, is, we, was that at the theater? No. Oh, okay. Uh, it wasn't even supposed to be a date. We were both just fans of the Saw series, and so uh, we were going to watch the first one. Okay. But we were just like enjoying hanging out together, so we watched the second one, and then we ended up watching the oh, third wow. one also. Oh, that's nice. so, so romantic. It is, I know. <laughs> and so it's kind of a special thing for us. That's awesome. Um, and on our anniversary, we usually try to watch at least one of the Saw films. Nice. Wow. Um, so oh, I've still only seen the first one. Hmm. Well, if you ever want to have a marathon... <laughs> <laughs> then we can do that. that if we ended fun. up doing Saw X, then I would. Yeah, here's what we want to do. I want you to rank all of them. Okay. Because <laughs> I have my ranking, and I would love to hear your ranking. All right. And then you can come back after watching all of I them. I have to do a lot of catching up. Uh, it does come out this weekend, though, so yeah, we'll have so to see. Yeah, so it's a little see. early. Um, You'd have to record pretty soon, maybe. We would, but um, there's also the new Exorcist movie Which coming out I, I have low expectations it's like some uh someone was pitching to some executive like okay we're gonna this is gonna be a cool movie because instead of one little girl who's possessed we're gonna have two <laughs> <laughs> that's the logical place to go um you know how they rebooted pet cemetery yeah uh-huh. isn't there a sequel to that coming or out a prequel. oh is there already is a prequel? Yeah. oh did it already come another. out sorry bloodline okay. i think i haven't seen it though. there's also like the five nights at freddy I am movie is coming out which the trailer was yeah so we'll be talking <laughs> i i will definitely be seeing saw so see saw. Um, yeah so we'll we'll probably talk about it on the next pod group movie night i'll see if i'm available there we go i love it and and like yeah when we if we do rank all the Saw movies best to worst, why do we all agree that the fifth one is the worst one? I'm just going to say. <laughs> Here's what I will say. Spoiler. It's oh. not my least favorite. It's not? Whoa. Okay. It's my second least favorite. Right. So there is one that I dislike more. just do a more. deep dive analysis on why that movie sucks. You know what? I think I already What we could do it's so bad. if we want... Sorry. Yeah. The, we are just we going just off the rail. This. I love this. So, There's no way the recording's that long already, right? <laughs> Well, we'll it's uh, only a little over an it's hour. Fine. We're good. Yeah. Um, what we could do is we could do a side episode where where we talk about the entire series in lead up to the to the new movie. Oh, okay. Bonus there you go. Yeah. So maybe yeah. we can talk about this. This could yeah. be fun. Right. I would love to maybe not to a cinema roundtable proper episode, but. Yeah. But a, a a spiral, if you may say. Yes. Oh, um, I got that joke. There you go. I got that. Um, but yeah, we'll you'll just have to stay tuned to hear what our next film is. But until then, we'll see you at the movies. This episode was recorded in the studios of KZUM eighty nine point three FM in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find out more about KZUM and listen to more episodes of Cinema Roundtable by visiting kzum.org. Our theme music was composed by Joshua Spalding. <laughs>